Welcome to the WRSU Crew, the revolutionary show to hear all things sports, from your very own Rutgers Athletics to the hot topics in all professional and collegiate sports from around the globe. Coming to you from your own Rutgers students. Sit back, relax, and enjoy your ride with the crew. And welcome to the Monday edition, a brand new week here of the crew here on WRSU FM New Brunswick. I'm Dylan McCoy, joined by Gideon Fox. And Gideon, you know, before we before we talk, start with the sports talk, uh, how was your weekend, man? How was your Thanksgiving? Yeah, my Thanksgiving was great. Uh, able to have plenty of turkey, plenty of mashed potatoes, stuffing. Good to be with family. Um, just relax a little bit. Take a you know, it's been a busy, very busy semester, so it was definitely nice to take a step back, relax, enjoy. Then have a relaxing weekend. Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, great Thanksgiving as well. You know, good times. Uh, but happy to be back here in WRC Studios. I mean, I've been here. I was here all day Saturday. So. Uh, oh, I'm I'm very sorry about that. It's, that it's was okay. not a good Saturday to be. No. To be First doing. of all, the game, the football game, was maybe the biggest story. It was freezing the whole time. We were in an, me and Doug were in an outside press box. Uh, I think half the game was me complaining about how cold it was, and then the other half of the game was me trying to call it, but. <laughs> yeah, it was really just a, a poor, poor showing from a Rutgers team that, you know, if they won, they would have been in a bowl game. And, you know, Talia Tagovailoa looked like he was the NFL quarterback compared to his brother uh, on Saturday. It was a sad state of affairs for sure. What do you think? Was the weather, was the was the cold distracting, was the cold worse or was Rutgers' performance on the field worse? What was more, what was the bigger story from that day? I think the bigger story was the performance because, you know, they were down twenty to two at the half. I think the only time I felt optimistic during the game was like the minute after the extra point was blocked and Rutgers took it back for two. But as soon as Maryland scored again, they were down eighteen at the half. I was like, "Well, I think I can call this one a game." But you know, they they played well in the second half. They made it a ten point game. They made it close, but you know, they they just weren't able to get back into the game. And when you go down early like that, and then. You know, you have to rely on a backup quarterback and not the backup quarterback we wanted to see. But, you know, a guy in Evan Simon who, you know, he did he did what he could. He didn't have an awful game, but, you know, he hasn't had a lot of reps this season, so it's hard to adjust like that. But, yeah, you know, they, they end 5-7, and seven, which is where I would say I predicted them around, you know, before the season and no bowl game, at least as of now, you know. How how do you how do you uh how do you weigh the season, Gideon? Do you think it's a success? Do you think it's a failure? Do you think it's somewhere in the middle? No. Yeah, so I think when it comes to college football, the difference between six and six and five and seven is so much more than just that one win. And you know, that's because of the bowl game, the automatic bid if you get to that six and six mark. So I think in order to fully break down this Rutgers football team season, you kinda of have to throw away a bowl for a second. I know that's weird to say, but if you if you just think of the season as Rutgers winning five games instead of maybe some people thought of them winning six, that's great. Rutgers won two Big Ten games. Sure, there are plenty of close ones too. Maybe there's some that we should have won. That's fine. But Rutgers won five games, and that includes two Big Ten games, including one against an Illinois team on the road that I I thought really could have gone either way. So, in terms of just the five and you know five wins, seven losses, Mark. I'm really I'm okay with that. I mean, that included some ridiculous losses like the the Ohio State loss. It also included some nail biters like the Michigan game that we almost won, the Michigan State game at home that we were almost had. That was a, that was a close one. Um especially in the first half. Once the second half of that Michigan State game happened, it was kind of all over, but 
And when it comes to Rutgers having a successful season, yes or no, I'm some I'm happy with the season. Yeah, sure, it'd be great to be playing in a bowl game. It's not like we'd be playing in the most prestigious bowl game. It'd probably be, I don't know, maybe Pinstripe Bowl. Any any of those. It wasn't, you know, it's not like we'd be playing in something super prestigious. So Rutgers won two Big Ten games on the road, including an Indiana team that last time we went to Bloomington, we had a single passing yard. So the fact that we blew Indiana out of the water at home, I'll take that. I'll take those two wins. I'll take beating Syracuse on the road. And sure, it would have been great to beat Maryland. It also would have been great to beat Northwestern earlier in the season on the road. And then this Maryland game probably wouldn't have had as much of, it, of an impact and, and would have had way less significance. Um, but yeah, you know what? I think this is a, um, a successful season. I think Rutgers fans shouldn't be getting ahead of themselves. This is Greg Schiano's second year on the banks. He inherited a Chris Ash football team that was, I mean, it was it was barely that. It was barely a football team. You can't expect him to completely turn around this team. And sure, he had good players. We had an amazing linebacker core. Who, you know, we'll we'll, we'll be missing Tyshawn Fogg next year. We're going to miss you know Fadukasi next year. That'll definitely hurt the Rutgers defense and the team as a whole. But in terms of just this year, yeah, I think this is a, a successful year. I think an extra win was probably circled on some people's calendars. But when it comes down to it, Rutgers winning five games, including two Big Ten games on the road, huge success considering the basement the basement that this team came out of. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I, I, I think, I think people being six, saying six and six or seven and five were, you know, a little bit too, uh, on the optimistic side, which, you know, we, we never fail to be pessimistic here at, uh, at WRSU, but you know, ultimately I, I think that they've got to be proud of some things, but then some things, you know, they shouldn't be proud of their defense was not very good this season. Uh, you know, but after after the non-conference slate games, you know, the defense really was one of the – not one of the worst points of the team, but, you know, definitely not helpful. And then the the quarterback play was, you know, left a lot to be desired, I think. I think everyone is ready to see Gavin next season, you know. Uh, I believe he would have lost his redshirt year if he played this game, which Evan Simon actually did lose his redshirt year because he played this game. But – um. Yeah, I mean, the future can only be up. You know, we're still kind of at the bottom. So I think as time goes on that it, it will only get better. But And, and we'll it is going see. up right now. If I told you two years ago on November 29th that Rutgers would have won two Big Ten games, one in Indiana, one in Illinois, I feel like I would have I wouldn't. The one in Indiana, that. I would have been like, you're crazy. Yeah, you're exactly. Crazy. And sure, we couldn't have predicted Michael Penix wasn't going to play. Um, But come on, especially after the season Indiana had last year, and we know, you know this year's not – the same Indiana team as they were last year. But, I mean, this team is already coming up. This, the fact that this team was in the conversation for a bowl, it was it was not Rutgers has to win out. They have to win their next four games to make a bowl. It was no. Rutgers has to beat Maryland in the last week of the season. Winner gets sent to a bowl. That That's a place that this Rutgers football team has not been in in decades. In I mean, in uh, almost a decade ago it wasn't that when Greg Shannon was first here. But... You know, in years ago when Chris Ash was here, this Kyle Flood, this was not this was not what this Rutgers team was doing. So, yeah, look, there's there's plenty to improve on. I mean, if you talk about quarterback, Noah Vigil does technically have another year left, and that's I haven't heard too much about what he plans on doing if he plans on utilizing that or not. Um, I think it's also, you know, I don't I don't think the public's heard enough about this yet or anything about it yet. I don't even know if there's any decisions being made within the coaching rooms yet. You know, who knows who's the starting quarterback on day one is going to be next year. I think it'll be interesting to see what the spring game looks like. Presumably, Gavin Wimsett will be the starting quarterback on one of those teams. 
Uh, you know, that's the guy that's slated to be the quarterback of the future. But, I mean, the quarterbacking this year was just, you know, Dylan, you mentioned the it, defense. It was kind of awful. It was like. Kind of awful. It was it was pretty awful. <laughs> like Noah did what he could, and he's a tough player, and, you know, he gets yards when he needs to, and he's good at, you know, escaping and running the ball. But in terms of being an overall quarterback, like, he is, at the Big Ten level, he's not it. Like, I think he would do a good job at, like, he was at UCF his freshman year. I think if he was still there, he'd do a pretty decent job. But just, you know, having to deal with Big Ten defensive linemen, especially when you have an offensive line that is still, you know, heavily Chris Ash recruited. You know, you're just getting your next year you'll get guys like Jacob Allen in the first, like Rutgers, you know, Shiano class of linemen. But, you know, it, it's going to be a difficult time for anybody. And I think, you know, he did what he could. But, you know, no one was really going to have a great season in that offense playing quarterback against the teams they played especially after all those injuries to the already weak offensive line happened. Yeah, I think there was, like, by the end of the season, there was, like, three freshmen starting, which in the Big Ten, you know, that's that that's a tough pill to swallow. That's that's When you're facing guys like Micah McFadden and Aiden Hutchinson and some of the best defensive linemen in the country, it is, uh, it's difficult. For sure. Yeah, exactly, and it's, you know, maybe, let's say the O-line was completely healthy. I don't really think... That would have really changed things around for sure. Maybe Noah Vedro could have had an extra 20 rushing yards per game. Maybe Isaiah Pacheco could have ripped off another big run or two. Who knows? But, yeah, Dylan, I agree with you. I mean, Noah Vedro, he he could run the ball. He's tough, like you said. He puts a team on his back. He had that touchdown against Illinois. I mean, I, I you know, he, he's, he won us that Illinois game. He put the team on his back. He ran the ball. He's aggressive with the ball. He's not afraid to lower his pads. He's not afraid to get hurt. And I think that's... Something you don't see a lot, and I think he deserves a lot of credit for that. But when it comes to getting the ball downfield, he just can't do it. He's just not He's not able to do it. He's not that guy, like you said. And I think a guy like Gavin Wimsett, who's more – he's a dual-threat quarterback, but he's able to throw the ball. And that's something that Rutgers just hasn't had in a while. And it's that's not to say anything about the receivers, too, this year. I think before Cruikshank got injured, we have you have Aaron Cruikshank, Bo Melton, Johnny Langan in specific packages – we we made it work. We you know we had Shameen Jones too, who didn't have as good of a year this year as he did the year before, but we made it work with those top two guys in Aaron Cruikshank and Bo Melton. And once Cruikshank got hurt, and once that Ohio State game happened, and that was or that was the Wisconsin game, excuse me. But once once everything kind of started going downhill, just Noah Vedra wasn't able. It felt like he was treading water, and he wasn't even treading water that well. Yeah, I would I would I would definitely have to agree with you there. Um, you know, uh, we've been talking about football a lot, but Saturday was just kind of a day of horrors for Rutgers sports. Uh, you know, I guess we could talk about men's basketball next, or well, women's basketball. That game was, I I just felt bad. You know, they played a really good team in Arizona. It was their second game in a row where they've had less than ten first half points. Which, you know, I know Rutgers, especially the women's team, is a defensively you know minded team, but. You can't score eight first half points and expect to win, you know, against teams like Vanderbilt and, and Arizona. So they definitely need to get it in check. And, you know, Osh Brown was able to have a twenty twenty game on Thursday, which first time someone at Rutgers done that in like seven years. It was pretty impressive. But, you know, they, they, they really gotta figure it out because they, you know, they're four and four and they're getting to the toughest part of their schedule, which is the Big Ten. So uh Yeah. Yeah, I mean they're pretty much there. They have the Big Ten ACC Challenge this Wednesday in Pittsburgh, and then after that, it's a couple Big Ten games and a couple non-conference games. But pretty much starting now, it's you're getting to that tough slate of games. 
Oh, for sure. Um, you know, Coach Eatman is going to have to find, I think, a dedicated scorer and lean on that scorer. We don't know who that's going to be yet. You know, it could be Osh Brown. It definitely could be someone else. But uh, ultimately, you know, that is what's going to separate this team is having a scorer who is reliable and can always, you know, put put the ball in the net. But, you know, going on to the men's team, I think, I think you know, it's, it's interesting the performance they had. So they put up 83 points, which – by far their highest scoring total this season. You know, they looked anemic on offense for a good amount of the year uh, so far, and they, they came out ready. But they gave up 85 points, and they gave up a buzzer-beating three. They gave up 51 points in the second half after being up 12 at the break. Uh, you know, I I I don't I don't know what to say, Giddy. I, I think I'm just going to throw this one to you. It was just a uh, – it's been heartbreaking so far to be a Rutgers basketball fan. Yeah, heartbreaking is a really good way to put it because – when we lost the DePaul game, you know, I was I, Dylan Allen and I were fortunate enough uh, to be at that game and to be calling that game for WRSU. And we left that game, and yeah, sure, you want to win those games, but we left, and I was like, you know what, Rutgers is going to lose a, non, a road non-conference game every year. That's just what happens. It's okay. We'll bounce back. Like this team's still getting it together. They, you know, a lot of these guys haven't played together for that long, so their first road game, like it's okay, it's fine. And then they just kept losing, and that. And when it comes to the UMass game, I think that one hurts even more. It kind of hurts like the DePaul game too. There wasn't a, you know, an official buzzer beater to to ice the game against DePaul, but DePaul got hot from three late in the game, and that kind of was what, what sunk Rutgers. But I think about the UMass game. I mean, you're up twelve at the half, second half collapse. Okay, fine, it's a tie game. But giving up that buzzer beater, I mean, look, had Rutgers walked out of there with a two point victory, I still don't think that would have made a ton of Rutgers fans confident in the team. I don't think it would have bought back a lot of the trust that the team lost, you know, after a couple of their losses earlier on. But I think just getting the win would have been huge. Now you fall to three and three. And just like the women's team, you're getting to the thick of your schedule right now. You still have a couple non conference games. You have the Clemson game tomorrow night. And Clemson's gonna be out for blood. I mean, we beat them in the first round of the of the NCAA tournament last year. This is a struggling Rutgers team. This is gonna be this is not an easy game. Yeah, I mean, I'd have to agree with you. It's definitely not an easy game. You know, Clemson is an ACC team. They've had a good start to the season. Um, Rutgers, you know, they just haven't had a good start to the season. You could say whatever you want. They lost by this many points. You know, it was a close game. But, you know, they and I don't even want to, you know, Massachusetts is an A-10 team. They're a good team. But when you lose to a team like Lafayette, that that's a problem. At know? home, too. At home. At Jersey Mike's. Yeah, you know, it, it's definitely an issue. You can't be losing to teams like that. You know, this is something that a, a Steve Peichel team in the first year would have done, you know, drop a game like that. Or, you know, this is – people compared this to St. Bonaventure. This is a thousand times worse than St. Bonaventure, you know, I, I would have to say. I, I just think it's – you know, they're in a difficult point, and they need to, you know, they, uh, they need to, you know, kind of – combine their offensive efforts with their defense you know right now it seems like it's one or the other like they play great defense they don't play offense or they play great offense and they don't play defense so they just need a complete performance and they need one soon i'm trying to see the rest of their schedule so they have clemson then they start big 10 play they have illinois purdue and then they have seton hall uh on the 12th so you know three three four pretty important games coming up so Rutgers is definitely going to need to figure it out you know in a in a quick time period yeah i mean purdue is well i think they're ranked number two now illinois just fell out of the top 25 
But I mean, they're still they're a bubble team. I mean, when it comes to the top twenty five, but for sure, tournament team. Purdue is one of the best basketball teams in the country right now. I think they're number two in the AP poll. I could check that. And then Seton Hall just beat Michigan on the road as part of the Gavit tip-off games, and that's that's going to be at the Prudential Center. Um, sure, there's definitely some controversy in that. Game should have been here. The game absolutely should have been here. Yeah, yeah. But <laughs> you can't have them all. But, I mean, it's just like everything is just not – going for Rutgers right now besides for women's soccer and they're on their way right now to Santa to in Santa Clara California for the final four after winning their last two games and penalty kicks at a sold-out Yersak field I mean that's that's some of the performances that we've seen from a couple of the fall teams we saw that we saw another almost final four run from the field hockey team uh they fell also in a shootout at home after winning the university's first Big Ten championship and look having teams like this is great and it's you know now we're kind of transitioning from fall into winter so you know the soccer season is a long season the the final four in championship will be this weekend and that's kind of happening right in the middle of basketball and it's just it's so much it's so difficult to follow this to follow these basketball teams now like Dylan I'm are you going to the game tomorrow night I will be calling the game tomorrow night oh. with Dylan Allen. Yes, very excited for that. Definitely will. Definitely got to check that out on WRSU right here. For sure. Should be a fun one. Uh, I'll also be on the call for Seton Hall with Chris Taconis. I'm very excited for that game. I'm hoping it's another Rutgers, uh, you know, the last time I saw them play Seton Hall in person. They went on a 15-0 run with a Ron Harper Jr. alley-oop that I will remember as long as I live, most likely. Um but it's it's a very important stretch coming up, and you know, Rutgers at three and three. If they're able to win two of their next four, I'd be pretty content. You know, kind of assuming that would be Clemson and uh, Seton Hall, I guess. But I really like them to go like, well, they have a few non-conference games at the end of the month, so Ryder, Central Connecticut State, and Maine. Uh, if they can win those three, you know, go in a Big Ten play seven and four, I think that would be. Uh, I think I'd be okay with that. You know, I think that would give them a good chance to maybe win 10, 11 games in Big Ten play if they can, you know, be a bubble team again for the tournament, something like that. Yeah, I mean, looking at those four games, like Dylan, like you said, it's it's hard to imagine wins against Illinois and Purdue. Like we said, they are in the top 25. Um, they're the highest-ranked Big Ten team. Uh, the next highest Big Ten team is not even – it's way further down. Michigan State at 22 – yeah, I mean, that that's a separation right now we're seeing the Big Ten. And, of course, things will change. As we know, the Big Ten is a very, very tough conference. Things will get moved around. Things will change. And I think that goes for the women's team, too. This is a team that, sure, you could say that this Rutgers team, the men's team is dealing with players like Cliff who have never started in, in college before. But this, the women's team is dealing with players who have never played before. He's dealing with Tim Eatman, who's been on the banks forever, has been right next to Stringer, and has done so much for the program, but has never been the head coach of the Scarlet Knights only in relief of C. Vivian Stringer. So I think for them, you know, things will hopefully come together. I'm definitely looking forward to that. I'm calling the Pittsburgh game with Jake Schmidt, our general manager, later this week. Exciting, exciting stuff. And I think, honestly, I think that th- those two nights, tomorrow night into Wednesday night, this should, should hopefully could be the turnaround point for these basketball teams. If Rutgers is able to beat Clemson at home in the Big Ten ACC Challenge, 
in front of fans who are just who are going to keep showing up. Maybe they won't be selling out jersey mics. Maybe there'll be a little bit of reluctance, but you're going to keep getting fans in seats somewhat to a, to a certain degree. So, you know, hopefully tomorrow night's a turnaround. ESPN will be there. It's going to be it's our it's our biggest game of the year so far. It's our first real test. And saying that with a three and three Rutgers team after playing a just a slate of of buy games and gimme games is just it's a little scary to say, but you know what? It's if if Rutgers is able to recover this year, I you know I don't think we'll be worrying about these three non-conference games come February, come March. Yeah, we'll definitely have to see. You know, it's one of those things where you, where you don't know uh, what what it's going to be until you know you get to March and you see everyone's resumes. But hopefully, Rutgers is able to get over this, and hopefully, we'll see better weekends of Rutgers sports ahead. I mean, I've I can think of worse weekends to be quite honest. The the Buffalo game is something I always mention on the air. That was my like lowest point as a Rutgers sports fan. I don't even know what the other sports did that weekend, but I just remember Rutgers getting blown out of their own stadium by Buffalo, uh, and that was the point where I was like, I'm not going to these games anymore until they <laughs> figure it out, and they finally did. I, I try to attend as much as I can, but yeah, you know, better days are ahead, Rutgers fans, and we've seen worse, so can't complain too much, but... With that, we're going to go to our first commercial break of the show. Don't go anywhere. We're going to be back with Locks of the Night right after this. You're listening to The Crew here on WRCFM, New Brunswick. Locks of the Night. We are back here on WRSU-FM in Brunswick. This is a segment where we like to give you all our financial advice on what sporting events will happen tonight, and we try to predict them. But I'm Dylan McCoy here with Gideon Fox. Giddy, uh, I guess I'll go first, I guess. Yeah, so go for it. All right, we've got Monday Night Football. It's Seahawks-Washington, both teams dealing with their own issues. seattle uh, is pretty much done. They're like three and seven. They're probably out of the playoff race unless have a remarkable second half of the season, which possible, but I don't see it. Um, so they're playing Washington, and you know the the spread is close. Uh, money line is close. I'm looking at, you know, I decided to go anytime touchdown score, and I like Terry McLaurin to score a touchdown tonight. Uh, he's Washington's top weapon. Taylor Heineke has shown in the past few weeks that he can get the ball out. He can get it deep. Uh, so, yeah, plus 170, I think Terry McLaurin is going to be your lock of the week. Gideon, you looking forward to this game tonight? I am, and I think you get to the point in the season where you're either – there's kind of three types of games. Either you're watching two playoff potential teams battling to try to get a better place in the standings. Then you have the games that I think are the worst games, you know, the you know the bottom, bottom type of game at this point of the year. Teams – you have one team that is – battling for a playoff spot or in a playoff spot, playing against some team that has no chance. And I think tonight it's going to be kind of relaxing just to watch a game where both teams are pretty much out. Um, I mean, the Seahawks are a little bit more out than Washington, but they're pretty much done. These teams really don't have anything on the line besides their names and everything that goes on with winning a football game. So I'm definitely looking forward to that. My roommate's a Seahawks fan, so will be interesting tonight. Um, but also, I mean, going off that, Dylan, I had an anytime touchdown score with DK Metcalf. Um, that was like plus 115, I think. So I combined that with the money line, which I got at minus 120. Um, although I think it made it a little different. Whatever. I parlayed that together. Now it's plus 181 on that. So we'll see what happens. DK Metcalf hasn't scored in a couple weeks. Been hurting my pockets and my fantasy teams. 
But, I mean, we'll hopefully he turns it around tonight. I mean, they, he'll have plenty. The Seahawks have good receivers. It's they One do of them's got to score a touchdown at some point. Got good receivers. They've got a good quarterback. They just don't really have a running back or an offensive line at this point, which is, uh, which is a shame. But I guess I'll – Throw one more up. You know, we have a limited crew today, so we'll give you a couple locks per per person. Uh, going to the world of the NBA, uh, Bulls-Hornets tonight. You know, the Bulls have been one of the best teams defensively in the entire league. Uh, Lonzo Ball, Zach Levine, Alex Caruso, DeMar DeRozan. You know, they, they have done a really good job, you know, just defensively getting down low. Uh, their perimeter defense has been unbelievable this year, but... The Bulls are minus four against the Hornets. I think they cover that pretty easily. Uh, I like them to probably win by 10, 11 points. I just think their defense going to overwhelm Charlotte, who doesn't have too many scoring options past LaMelo Ball. So, yeah, uh, for my second lock, I'm going to do Bulls minus four against Charlotte. For my second lock, I'm going to stick with Seattle. Uh, the Seattle Kraken, switch over to the NHL, but the Seattle Kraken are playing the Buffalo Sabres. Kraken minus 140. Buffalo plus 120. I'm tempted to take Buffalo in that one combined with the under of 5.5, which you could get at minus 130. So if you parlay that together, you should should get some pretty decent odds. These are just not high-scoring teams. The Sabres do have Tage Thompson, who's been – he's at 10 goals right now so far uh, this season. He's been having just a great start to his season. But there's pretty much nobody else on either of those teams that is going to – that you could count on to score. Um, You know, we talk about with football, with both Seattle and Washington – you could have a little bit more confidence in one player scoring a touchdown. You can't really have that confidence with either of these two teams. So for my second lock, uh, a nice little parlay of Buffalo Sabres money line and the under in that game. I like that. I like that. Big. How, how have your hockey locks been going recently? Well, recently not great. Last night I got back into it. I had the Devils uh, money line against Flyers and the Boston Bruins money line against the Canucks. Uh, the Devils were never losing in their game. That was an awesome hockey game. One of the best hockey games I've been to in a while. Um, Boston was down to Vancouver. They were down 2-1 in the second period going into the third. Eventually, it turned that around, and they won that game 3-2. That was exciting, but yeah. Before that, it, it, it was not too great, and I somewhat blamed that on myself for always betting on the Devils. But, hey, look, things are looking up for the Devils right now. Things are looking up for hockey locks. But, Dylan, how was how was your Thanksgiving betting? Uh, not great. Uh, Dawson Knox saved me because he scored two touchdowns, so I was positive. But before then, it was it was pretty bad to be quite honest. Uh, but thank you, Dawson Knox. You you saved me for sure, and it was you know, it was nice. It was definitely nice. But you know, uh, we just had an NFL Sunday, and it was the first NFL Sunday in a while where I was genuinely pleased with my team's performance. Uh, you know, the Giants they. They beat the Eagles, which, you know, this season is probably going to end up being a failure, but that is a big success for me. Uh, Offense only had 13 points, but they didn't have Jason Garrett, so I enjoyed it immensely. Um, And then the defense, uh, what can you say? They played great. Xavier McKinney looked like a star. He's been looking like a star every time I see him on the field. Uh, Darnay Holmes had a big play. His one big play this season against the Chiefs got wiped out, so it was nice to see him get a big play in this one. And uh, Jalen Hurts bad at putting the ball in tight windows. That's 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 the analysis I had from that game. Yeah, th- that's I think a very true analysis. Three interceptions, but hey, look as awful and as miserable as Saturday was for a Rutgers sports fan. Being a Philly sports fan Saturday or Sunday, excuse me, must have also been terrible. I mean, and then kind of worked out for us New Jersey New York fans. 
Eagles lost to the Giants. Philadelphia Flyers lost to the Devils. So, I mean, it's always good to see the Philly teams go down, especially at this point in the season for football. And, like, you know, it's not like the Giants and Eagles are really going to be are trying to fight to win the division. It's probably going to go to the Cowboys. We all know that. It's, as much as it hurts to admit, it's probably definitely not going to be the Giants, but also definitely not going to be the Eagles. But I also think another point of from that game, the 13-7 to Giants win on Sunday, was Daniel Jones just had another day that, you know, on paper for a regular quarterback – I don't think anybody would be pleased with. For a Daniel Jones quarterback, I'm completely fine with. He went 19 for 30 with 202 yards, one touchdown, no interceptions. And he also had nine carries for 30 yards. I'll take that. I will absolutely take zero interceptions. Zero turnovers sounds like a pretty good game for Mr. Jones, so I'm pretty uh, I'm pretty content with that. Exactly. I mean, over 200 yards, like what I mean, yeah, sure you could. That's that's not what's going to be winning the Giants championships at any point, but for what Daniel Jones has been showing us in the past, I'll, I'll take that any day. So did you watch the uh, the end of the game, uh, like the interview with Saquon Barkley? I did not. I watched the very slow first half. So I don't know if you hear at the end. Well, obviously you didn't hear, but I don't know if the, the fans could hear, but the Giants played uh, the Always Sunny in Philadelphia theme as all the fans were leaving. Which, uh, <laughs> That's awesome. Abs- absolutely made me laugh. It was amazing. Uh, but yeah, you know, I, I think this team has has the ability to maybe turn around in the second half of the season, be decent. I don't think a playoff spot is a realistic at all anymore. But was it ever realistic? Do you think going into the season, were you like maybe if everything worked out? Which I mean, I guess is that's what it is every year. If everything works out, we'll be fine. Um, but ultimately, I think like seven, six wins is like a pretty good like benchmark of where this team could be. I think they're decent. I think. If they could develop under Freddie Kitchens in the next few games, I think they have a chance to, you know, come out next season and really be something. We'll see who's still here next season. I, I don't know. Well, it won't be Jason Garrett, so it will not. That's be Jason a great Garrett, start. That is an excellent start. Maybe, maybe no Dave Gettleman. Who knows? We'll see. we'll have to see. We'll have to see. My uh, <coughs> one of my family members texted me today. Big Gettleman uh, hater. And he was like, well, you could see I was clearly right the whole time. And he, he was right the whole time. You know, I was I was the one after the draft. Like, oh, well, maybe, you know, he's figuring it out. We got a first-round pick. We got Kadarius Tony, And, yeah, I'm, I'll concede that point. I'll concede that point. I, we, we get him needs to go. It just it, – it has to happen. It, what did Dano say? It is inevitable. I, I, that, yeah, with the snap. and That's how it feels right now. This is inevitable. <laughs> and I think, you know, going back to what you said something before, Dylan, absolutely, I think it is inevitable, just as Dylan McCoy and Thanos have both said, um, I think we're going to be looking for a new general manager. But I also, getting to six wins, even seven, I think is very doable for the Giants. You have you have Miami next week, Miami on the road. Another winnable game a little bit later, you have Eagles in Philly. Then you have Washington at home to round out the year. And, of course, the game right before the Washington game is Giants at the Bears at Soldier Field. And based on what the Giants have, we want we, you know, we have their Bears, we have the Bears' first-round draft pick. And, of course, when the Giants get the Bears' first-round draft pick, the Bears start to do better. So that game, I think, has that, that game will have a lot on the line. I also think the Giants could very, very, real, very, very realistically get to six, seven wins. I think the game against the Cowboys, even though it's going to be at MetLife, is a wash. I think the game at the Chargers is also going to be a wash. I wouldn't really expect too much from the Giants there, but I think six or seven wins is totally doable. Yeah, I would have to agree. I mean, the defense, you know, in the last 
I think it's six games have averaged about 15 points a game, which, you know, is very good. The first six games, they're one of the worst defenses in the entire league. But, um, you know, I think this team gets as far as Patrick Graham and the defense takes them because it's clear that, you know, they kind of are holding up the offense with, you know, causing all these turnovers and such. It's definitely not the other way around. The, uh, the offense needs to make improvements. They need to get up to the level of the defense because, you know, the, the guys on defense, like even Tate Crowder had an interception and, you know, everyone's really been stepping up and, and buying into the scheme. So I think the same needs to happen on offense, although they are developing their scheme now as we speak because, you know, they had to change it in the middle of the season. Which is fine, and that's totally, you know, that's something that teams will have to roll with. And I us having to adjust and do whatever is needed to tailor the offense to figure out how we ride out the season, it's all worth it to not have Jason Garrett calling plays. Anything is worth it to not have Jason Garrett calling plays. <laughs> It was uh, the fact that we, like, no wide receiver screens, no third and 15 draws. Kenny Galladay had targets. Like, the ball was thrown his direction. Right, more than just, like, once a quarter. That was great. It was great to see. Uh, But, yeah, you know, it's it's a long season being a Giants fan, but wins like that, you know, help help us get through it. It's even a longer season to be a a Lions fan. (sighs) Yeah, it was crazy. They're on national TV. They have the best chance they had all season to win a game, and then Dan Campbell messes it up. You know, horrible time management. They haven't scored a touchdown with, what, a minute and a half left when they could have winded down the clock to about 30 seconds. It's just, you know, if you're if you're a head coach, you got no wins. I get that you're going for the game, and, you know, you obviously want to win, but you got to be smarter than that. I mean, I mean, that's definitely Dan Campbell's mentality, too. He's aggressive like that. He's not going to concede anything, and I think – I mean, yeah, you, you shouldn't be giving giving a team, any team, even though it's the Bears here, they're not, not one of the best teams in the league, but you can't give them a minute 30 even on the road to score a touchdown. They're, they're going to they're gonna hurt you for that. They're going to put up that last-minute field goal. I mean, that's just the most classic Lions way to lose the game. You do everything right. You have the lead. Game on the line. Last play, you lose. I mean, that just sums up the Lions in so much. Oh, absolutely! It was it was tragic to see the way that they lost. But I I I want to ask you: Do you think they they do it again? You know, it was 13 years ago they went uh, 0-16. Do you think they go 0-16 again this time with a with a tie? Yeah, I mean that's sir. I mean, looking at their schedule now, play the Vikings this week. That's a loss. Even without Dalvin Cook, the Vikings are winning that game. Maybe as the Lions, you could scrape out a victory against the Falcons. I think that's your best shot. Maybe that's December 26th. That's going to be in Atlanta. If everything goes right for the Lions, sure, maybe you beat the Falcons. I mean, you're certainly not beating the Cardinals. You're not beating the Packers. I don't. I think it's at this point in the season, it's conceivable to start thinking that the Lions are just going to be the 0-16-1 Lions. Threw an extra game there for them to tie, but couldn't even win that one. Yeah, and, you know, it was crazy to see that game. That They interviewed players on both sides, and they were like, what do you mean overtime ends in a tie? Like, there's not another one? you think that players in the NFL would, would know that, but it's, you know, it's interesting. Over- I mean, they play for the Lions, so I feel like there's, yeah, that's there's a learning curve most of the there. Time, most of the time the game's over by the third quarter, <laughs> let alone the fourth quarter. But I mean, yeah, if the, I mean, that's exactly the Lions just can't score. You're not – if you're going to score – 
14 points a week, you're just not going to win games. Well, you also forget the fact that while they can't score, they also can't play defense. Their defense is awful. <laughs> that's a deadly combo. Not yeah, being able to score a, points uh, not having a good defense. Yeah, that's a combo that's not going to win you too many football games. But uh, <laughs> with that, we're going to go to a, another commercial break. Don't go anywhere. We're going to be right back after this. You're listening to the Monday edition of The Crew here on WRSU-FM, New Brunswick. Welcome back to the Monday Crew here at WRSU-FM New Brunswick. Myself, Gideon Fox, along with Dylan McCoy, bringing you all the sports coverage from this weekend, from today, and plenty of sports, plenty of action, plenty of news today, especially from the MLB. Dylan, I know it's been a little bit slow to be a Yankees fan today. Painfully slow, uh, almost heartbreakingly slow. Uh, you know, we've seen other teams sign guys. Uh, I think most notably the Rangers signed Marcus Semien and Corey Seager, which, you know, is about $600 million in contracts between the two of them. Uh, and then, obviously, probably the biggest signing of the whole offseason, uh, Max Scherzer signing with the Mets. Uh, Mets fans, you know, are thinking they're going to win the World Series in November. We'll uh, We'll see. I've I've seen this story many times, including last <laughs> season uh, when they spent 300 mil, and they were pretty confident. But we'll have to see. But but you know, I think I think it's I think it's a uh, a, a a telltale sign that you know, big free agency class, a lot of guys in positions that we need, and you know, not one of them has come to the Yankees. It's uh, depressing scenes. You know, I think we I think we all know that we need some kind of change in the in the roster. You know, because Clearly, keeping it the same with the team who didn't win it uh, is not good enough. But as of now, it looks like this year we're getting mostly the same, which I don't really know how to feel. I mean, it might be, it might work out. These players might just need time. But you know, you would have liked Corey Seager. Or, you know, it seems like the last gasp is going to be for Carlos Correa, and even then, it, he's been rumored to go eight different places that aren't New York. So it'll be a uh, interesting thought, but. I need one of these contracts. I need one of these baseball contracts. Like like from here. I what was Corey Seager's? Ten years, three hundred fifteen million? Something, something like that. Yeah, it was almost maybe three hundred twenty something. I mean it's a huge contract. I mean Scherzer too. I think Scherzer to the Mets, I think, was the one that especially being in this market is what we've been hearing a lot about. And I mean that's just I'm not you know, sure. Max Scherzer is an excellent pitcher, but it's the Mets. I mean, something something's gonna happen. Someone's gonna get hurt in that pitching rotation. The whole organization will collapse again by the All Star break. Yeah, uh, you. I need to see that they're going to be able to contend before I can say that they are. Uh, it's not something where if I see them, you know, go fifteen and zero in their first fifteen, well, that would be ridiculous. But they go ten and five in their first fifteen. I'm not gonna be like, well, then it looks like the Mets are legit. No, yeah, I need to see them in in you know postseason contention in September. In you know, I need to see them in October before I'm gonna say that I'm gonna you know endorse the Mets. You know how hard it is to endorse the Mets? Just ask sports director Chris Sakonis. Yeah, he would have probably been on today if he wasn't uh, flying slash driving back from the uh, Virgin Islands as we speak. Uh, you know, get home safe. And if you're listening, hello, boss. But, you know, I, I think, and, you you know, I, I want to hear your take on this, but, you know, I, I think it puts the Mets, like, in front of the Yankees in terms of ex- excitement level for this year. Yeah, I I don't think that's even a conversation. I think that's anybody would be. I think just like the Yankees were excited 
and we were excited last year when the Yankees were trading for guys like Joey Gallo, Anthony Rizzo. Sure, it didn't really pan out, but I mean, think about the excitement level of that when that came. And I think getting a guy like Max Scherzer, I mean, I, if I, I'm, I wish I was a Mets fan today. I mean, I don't really, but I think I'd be excited. I'd be, I'd be very, very excited for that. And I think that's going to be something that. It's only the first day of free agency. A lot of teams are spending a lot of money. The Yankees are, you know, being a little conservative with that right now. So I think at some point the Yankees are bound to sign somebody to get us excited. Something someone's gonna have a good spring training that'll get us excited. It's just about December. We have a lot of time until until spring training. I'm really not too worried about you know the the state of the Yankees fan base and their excitement levels going into the year. But yeah, I mean, I think right now the Mets are the hot topic of New York baseball right now. Just like they should be. If you got if you sign a guy like Max Scherzer, you should absolutely be the more talked about baseball team. And I think, yeah, as as awful and as slow as and as annoying it was to see today that every time you get an alert on your phone is about someone else getting signed to some team that's not the Yankees, it's gonna happen. That's just the that's the nature of the business. Someone the Yankees are gonna sign somebody. It'll happen. So I'm not I'm not really giving up hope at all right now. Yeah, you know, um, We'll have to see. You know, there's a few, a few Yankee, uh, there's a few free agents. Excuse me, I'm getting ahead of myself, but a few free agents still out there for the Yankees to sign. Uh, obviously, I think the biggest one is Carlos Correa. You know, the the whole off season, it's been is it going to be Correa or is it going to be Seager? Well, that decision's kind of been made for us. So if the Yankees are serious about signing a shortstop, it is uh, it's going to be Correa. But we will we'll, we will definitely have to see. I mean, uh, what, what what else do you think that the Yankees need if if they're going to go after people in the off season? Look, you hope you hope a guy like Garrett Cole pans out, you know, and he, I think he still had a good year last year. But I, I, mean, I don't think the Yankees, both rotation and bullpen, is fully complete yet. I think a guy like Correa is probably the biggest name that's out there right now. Um, you got to help out Glaber Torres somehow. He's just sh- struggling out there. But Dylan, how much how much do you offer Carlos Correa? How many years and how much money do you offer him? Ten for three fifty. That's that's it. so a, a Seager type contract. Yeah, he needs a Seager type contract. I mean, he's done it. You know, everywhere he's done it. Uh, I mean, he's done it at the World Series level. He's done it in the regular season. He's done it in the playoffs. He's proven that he is, you know, a clutch guy and that he uh, is gonna ball out when he needs to. So, I think he deserves the the biggest contract that he can get, which is, you know, in my opinion, ten three fifty. And do you, like, I mean, now obviously with with Seager going and the Rangers kind of being off the market for shortstops, how realistic do you think the Yankees getting? Correa is over a team like the Tigers or anybody like what do you think the the realistic how realistic is it that the Yankees do sign Correa well I mean I think the Yankees signing any free agent is realistic than the New York Yankees and uh if they're in the race for someone then they are you know most likely have the deepest pockets of anyone that they're going against to get a free agent so I I think that they always have to be in the conversation because you know it's the New York Yankees they they the, the, the bankroll they have and the name that they have will, you know, any free agent that is anyone is going to be linked to them. But we'll have to see. I mean, a lot of, you know, a lot of uh, interesting signings, you know, so far. I mean, I really I really can't believe that uh, both Seager and Semyon signed with the, uh, with, the, with the Rangers who are supposed to be rebuilding. But their rebuild now has them, you know, having the best middle infield in baseball, which is... Interesting. I don't remember the last time the Rangers were really relevant. Uh, maybe, you know, eight years ago with Josh Hamilton. But 
you know, uh, one signing that happened later in the day today was Robbie Ray uh, signed with the Seattle Mariners. So I thought that was pretty interesting. Robbie Ray, uh, you know, the Cy Young Award winner from this year, the pitcher in Toronto, he had a great season. And now he goes to Seattle. So, I mean, that team, you know, just gets better. It's it's an interesting signing for sure. Yeah, and Seattle, you know, a wild card team, a bubble playoff team. I think a guy like Robbie Ray is the type of player to kind of push them over that hump that the Yankees are stuck on right now. Uh, kind of pushes Seattle from just a hopeful playoff team, a wild card team, into a team that could contend for the division every year. And I, I somehow missed the Robbie Ray signing, but I see it right now. It's a $115 million deal. Um, there's an opt-out option after the third season. But, I mean, look, the Mariners, like we were saying, the Mariners, they were, they were 90 and 72. They were not, they don't have too much when it comes to starting pitchers. Their rotation's not anything special. But I think a guy like Robbie Ray, a Cy Young winner, team, is, is the guy to push them off that hump. And that's that's the same hump that the Yankees are, stu- are stuck on. They've been stuck on that hump for the last three or four years. And we try it with with some power hitters that we sign. And we saw how that worked out this year. So I'm. You hope that I mean going back to Correa, I, I would I'm with you, Dylan. I hope the Yankees offer him everything that he deserves, which is over three hundred million dollars, and he could he could pick the amount of time that he stays with the team. I mean, we just need a guy like that to just push the team forwards again. I think when Judge came in, he was kind of supposed to be that guy, and he's doing all that he can. But I mean, this team is just they're always missing one or two aspects that just are the reason that they're not going to be fighting for the division champion every, championship every year. But who knows? There's still plenty of time over this offseason. Oh, for sure. There, There's a lot of time. You know, there's a lot of players that still need to sign. I'm trying to find a, you know, overall list. Uh, my computer is very slow. I apologize. It is not the WRC station computer. That is very fast. Yeah, no, that's working fantastic right here. Yes. I got like seven tabs open, everything. Where... Yes, my laptop is struggling, struggling, struggling. So right now, guys who haven't signed it yet, looking around for some notable players right now who the Yankees could target. I mean, if if Anthony Rizzo, our, our first baseman of this year, not coming, probably not coming back, and I, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with Rizzo walking. Yeah, I'm kind of okay. Uh, we tried it. It didn't work out. I would have to agree. I would have to agree. And I also think it'd be cool to see if Albert Pujols gets signed again. He's 42 right now. I don't know. What do you think? I think he's probably done. I think that I, I think it's it's hard for a team to justify signing someone who you know obviously one of the best hitters to ever play, but he's just regressed so far, and you know you can't play him on you literally can't play him on defense, uh, and he can't do anything besides hit the ball, and if he hits the ball on the ground anywhere, he's out. You know, it's I, I love our pool. It's one of my favorite players I've ever seen. But it's a lot to justify for a team to give him, you know, probably a decent amount of money because he's made a lot of money in his career. Probably will demand a little bit. Um, And, yeah, I mean, unless he resigns with the Dodgers or someone for the league minimum, I don't see him coming back. I think this is the end of the road for him. And you kind of hope that it's in, on his own terms. Like, you'd hate to see him get signed by some team and just be such a disappointment because he's already had such a good career. I mean, he's... Future Hall of Famer. He's done so much. You kind of just hope that, you know, for his own sake, he doesn't get signed. Just kind of moves on with it. Oh, absolutely. Um, You know, we we, we definitely will. Um, 
You know who's also a free agent right now is Rutgers product Todd Frazier. Ooh, that's an interesting one, too. He's what, 38, 39 years old? He's, He's kind of towards the 35, end. 35. So, but I mean, still, that's 35, 39, you're pretty much done. 35, you're getting there. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I just, I just think it, it's hard for guys like that because you know you want them to be on a roster and you you want them to to play, but you know it, it's hard for a team to give part of their salary cap for a guy that what is what is Todd Frazier realistically going to do for a team? You know, he's gonna hit. He might play some defense, but he's you know it's not at a high level, so it's uh, it'll be interesting to see. But I think that. Uh, that I'm, I'm trying to figure out the point I'm trying to come up with, but those players are just, you know, it's hard to see because the fans love them, but they don't really, aren't really feasible for a franchise. You know what I mean? Yeah. Todd Frazier, Albert Pools, the exact same boat on that. You know, as cool as it is to have Albert Pools and to say you have Albert Pools at some point, he's, he's not the Albert Pools that we know. Yeah, unfortunately, but I mean, there's still some, I mean, Chris Bryant's a free agent. Yeah, we'll have to see. I mean, he had a great season last year, like a comeback season. Um, it was interesting, you know, to to see what uh, what he was able to do in San Francisco, excuse me. And I think that really uh, really drove his value up a lot. So we'll have to see what Chris Bryant ends up doing. You know, he might re-sign with the Giants. They, they have a chance to be great again as they were last year, but we'll see, you know. It's it's hard to repeat winning a hundred and, and what they win a hundred and four games, hundred and five games. Yeah, competing against the Dodgers all season. Yeah, they beat know, the down Dodgers. To the well, in the division at least, and you know it. It they won't have their full uh, full rotation back. I believe they lost Kevin Gosman signed with the Blue Jays. I'm pretty sure. Um, but yeah, it will be a tall, tall order. Also, I think. You know, at this point, it's too hard to make so many predictions about what's going to happen this season. I mean, we're we're closer to the end of the World Series than we are to the start of the next season. So I'm, you know, as a Yankees fan, is it going to be another year of, of mediocrity? And we watch the Mets get to off to a great start and then burn out. Who knows? It's kind of what, what we've gotten used to over here. But it'll be interesting. I also think, you know, for the Yankees now, moving away from the players for a little bit, Aaron Boone is coming back. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of an exasperated, yeah. It's a very exasperated, yeah. You know, I just think, uh, you know, I've seen enough of his decisions to say that I don't think he's doing, you know, a great job. Um, but prove me wrong. Prove, 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 please prove me wrong, Aaron Boone. That's all I want. All I want is for you to prove me wrong. It's, I don't really have much more to say than that. Yeah, look, I think, you know, things will change. Signings will happen. I'm just hoping that, you know, once the season gets started, guys like Garrett Cole are able to find who they were before they came to the Yankees because that kind of seems what always happens with us. You know, you do great on some other team. You come to the Bronx, and then you're just kind of a shell of yourself. Yeah, uh, for sure. But with that, we're going to take it to a break. We're going to be back after the top of the hour. 